Yeah, I guess I'll do the intro. Ugh. Gotta get that radio three. voice. Do I go when you when you point? <laughs> <laughs> so few people get that reference, and I worked in a station and count things down, and no one ever appreciates it. I love when they're watching. I mean, they're going. <laughs> my Best favorite, part of a great movie. My, no, my favorite line from that movie is, uh, um, uh, "Are you afraid of me? No. Do you want to be?" <laughs> I got it done. Let's go to a Broadway show. All right, uh, can we bring in the blue screen? Let's try one. Ready to cue Wayne and Garth, and go. Okay. In. Five, four, three. Good, Terry. Uh, Wayne, Garth, don't count along. We see your mouth moving. Again. In. Five, four, three. Guys, you're nodding. Once again, Terry. In. Five, four, three, two. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Shameless Picture Show Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Byers, and with me, always and forever, is my co-host... Nick Richards! <laughs> I'm getting better at that. Yeah, you are. Uh, before we introduce this uh, episode's topic, uh, we'd like to take a moment to apologize to all of our dear listeners, um, especially the ones in Canada and <laughs> Virginia. Because Which we know you're just, out there. We, that has just thrilled us to no end that someone other than my mom is listening to this. <laughs> We've gone international. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Uh, I think that might have peaked. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> in post. I'm going to be the one doing that, so yes. Anyways. <laughs> uh, we like to apologize uh, because everyone who listens to our show had to was forced to listen to just me talk and ramble about like 15 movies that i thought were dope in 2016 <laughs> um i've re-listened back to that episode uh and one i feel like at the end i'm i listened to it and i listened to the quality of my voice and i feel like i'm getting really emotional about like what this podcast means to us i could just hear it in my voice uh, and then also there's a point in, at the 12 minute mark where a scene from the exorcist plays out in its entirety <laughs> and i've not figured that out yet because uh it's in the original raw track Nothing was the house was completely silent, and the program I record in is not the one I edit in, so the file is nowhere in this program. <laughs> but there is a scene from The Exorcist where Chris asks Karis how to perform an exorcism. It's Pazuzu possessing your software. <laughs> I think so. Uh, I was trying to like mix Pazuzu and possessed, and, and I kept thinking like pizzazz, but it didn't work, so I didn't. I didn't go with that joke. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'd like to apologize. So here's but, what happened. <laughs> um, I don't know what happened. I went to go edit the episode. I heard all of my audio, and I just heard clicking on Nick's track, and it I, just didn't record. I, I saw levels. It, we went through the whole thing. I felt good about it. Hit export, and then he's like, so, yeah, um, you want to send me a track with, you know, stuff in it? I'm like, no, <laughs> clearly, because I don't have that option, apparently. But I'm seeing levels now, so this is kind of take two, and um, as a result, we're going to do our best to not, if if we tell the same jokes and anecdotes, we'll try and make it fresh, and when it isn't, we'll just make fun of ourselves, so maybe that'll be fun for you to listen to. Yeah, and you know, I, I honestly thought, just as a, a joke... That no one else would get to uh, release the pot, the, release my single track of audio <laughs> without Nick's, just to make it weird and confusing. But I thought no one else but me would find that funny. 
we're really doing this to entertain ourselves. So that, yeah. uh, that'll be once we release like season one, because we're so huge and famous, we'll include that as like extra content. <laughs> Craig Ferguson one time said when he was do- when he was hosting late night that uh the the key to comedy is make yourself laugh first. Anyone else is just gravy. Right. Yep. <laughs> Couldn't agree with that more. There's be times on the show he'd be the only one laughing, and that worked out well for him. It, right. So he's got that going for him. <laughs> yeah, I guess he to- I guess he totally does. Um, so yeah, we'd like to apologize for that. We'd also uh, like to thank some awesome bands. Uh, intro song called Superhero Theme, because we think so highly of ourselves, was done by <laughs> a local uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin band called The Directionals, which is a bunch of cool dudes. I shot a music video for them. They played my wedding, made me cry. You know, good shit. <laughs> And uh, our end track is uh, some friends of mine. Uh, the group is Ten Speed, um, Isaac Pierce, and on drums Nick Alvarez. And I met them as a band formally while I was shooting my first feature film and looking for soundtrack music. But I got connected with them because Nick, the drummer, um, not Nick the me, but Nick the drummer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Make yourself laugh first, right? Um, his mom babysat me when I was a kid, and my only recollection of being babysat by that family is that they had the most amazing collection of Masters of the Universe on the planet, and going over there was like being in in action figure heaven. <laughs> and they also kind of made good music. <laughs> that's 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 awesome. Um, would th- this feature film you speak about, would it be called Normal? It is not. That is actually my oh. second feature film. Oh. I, w- I was trying to keep a track record going where I mention your film every episode. <laughs> a movie that, uh, unless they go to your website and buy it, people can't see. Nope. You should get <laughs> that on Amazon. They can go to uh, normal.vhx.tv, I believe. Um, or you can find it from the website normalfilm.com and uh, it's a pay what you want to watch it digitally Um, I think it's a minimum of a dollar I would have made it free but that was their minimum so check it out give me a dollar and uh, and uh, maybe you'll laugh I still laugh at a couple of scenes when I watch it so again that's like my litmus test of whether or not I was successful with it yeah plus Nick just bought a house he needs those dollars people Please, I'm so poor. <laughs> he sunk everything into his house. <laughs> but uh, anyways, uh, so that's what happened last week. Uh, well, a couple weeks ago. Um, <laughs> but no, on today's episode, we are crossing a movie off my shame list that happens to be one of Nick's favorites, The Phantom <sighs> Tollbooth. The film tells the story of a young boy named Milo that one day finds a mysterious toll booth and car in his bedroom. Bored and with nothing better to do, Milo decides to hop in the car and head on a magical adventure to reach the castle in the air. On the way, he meets an assortment of zany characters and learns a little something about the fun of education. The film, directed by Chuck Jones, Abe Levitow, and Dave Monahan, is based on a beloved book, by Norton Juster. Follow Butch Patrick on a fantastic trip through the Phantom Tollbooth, where nothing is real but your imagination. To Dictionopolis, where words are weird. Words in a word are fantastic. You can hint them, you can say them, you can print them, you can pray them, emphasize them, and despise them. Digitopolis, where figures are freaky. Numbers can be added to, subtracted from, divided into, multiplied by, crossed out, and erased. Climb the mountains of ignorance, where dreams become nightmares. We have nothing to worry about. And the monsters are magnificent. It's the gelatinous giant. Pass through the phantom toll booth and into the magic world of your mind. Rated G. Before we actually uh, get into what we thought about the episode, I'm, I'm really abused. Uh, one of my best friends, Kyle, Kyle Arpke, I'm calling him out by name. Uh, we were talking about this podcast, and uh, I was telling him about you know what the, the whole conceit of it is and what we're trying to do with it. And I was like, yeah, and uh, my episode, our episode for the Phantom Tollbooth was, um, was lost. And I started, started explaining the film to him. And he goes, why'd you record about that? 
I was like, oh, because, you know, it, it was uh, – Nick picked it and going on about the sh- – I'm re-explaining the shame lift, shame list. And he's like, but would that be – what's 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 shame list worthy about that movie? And I'm thinking, oh, <laughs> Nick wouldn't like to hear that, so – How dare you, sir? <laughs> and I was like, it's one of Nick's favorites. So it's because it's one of his favorites, it's shame list worthy, god damn it. What, what's his name? What's his first name? Kyle R. Kyle. Kyle, look here, mister. I can like whatever I like. I don't, I don't need, I don't need your, uh, whatever the word is to make myself feel better about my awesomeness. Next Please weekend. like me. Next week in the podcast, Nick and uh, Kyle are going to be arguing about the Phantom <laughs> Tollbooth. Based on your intro, I just, how, how great it is that, you know, you, you watch any given movie and there's this you know, chunk of exposition on how your protagonist gets into this, you know, harrowing experience. And, and this one is, he had nothing better to do. He, Pure boredom. He really didn't. He, he, uh, <laughs> he was sitting on the phone with his friend. What was his buddy's name? Uh, um, hold on. Um, cause he has a great line about it. him at the end of the movie. Where he's <laughs> but, just kind of, Oh God, I can't remember. Anyways, he's on the phone with one of his buddies and he's just so lethargic when he's at school, he's bored. When he's at home, he's bored. Uh, and he's like, okay, here's this weird toll booth, which he doesn't actually ever have to pay a toll. I'm going to throw that out there. He never he pays did, a toll. He, it wasn't his money. A coin did pop out of a little tray in the car. Mm. So, like, okay, the toll was provided by the toll booth itself. That's a terrible commerce system. <laughs> How are you going to make any money? How are you going to maintain the road? That goes to Dichinopolis. Yeah. Like, that's why it took him so long. If they if they would actually charge people money, like, I feel like they'd just be, they'd build an expressway. And this, this right around could, the doldrums. Yeah, this movie could have been like 20 minutes. But, Ralph. anyways, Ralph um, is the name of his friend. Oh, you're right. Ralph. <laughs> Ralph. Ralph. Are you. <sighs> um, so. As we said in our intro, we've recorded this episode once, and a big <laughs> and a big part of what made this podcast so special to us um, was it was kind of cool to hear like the other person's opinion on a mo- on a on a movie that we've seen before or or what have you. But in this case, Nick knows what <laughs> I think. So, how do you want to start this off, Nick? Um. I, I guess we'll we'll try and stay true to form in that I think getting your initial impressions, uh, even though I know what you think, our dear listening audience does not. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I, I feel like um, I'll, I'll I'll admit I feel like I was a little hard on this movie last time. <laughs> uh, but none you of, and Kyle, man, none of you will ever know what I had to say about this movie. Uh, Looking back at it, it's like uh, I don't remember what I necessarily said last time. I, d- I remember saying that it had a, a, a slow beginning, and that's what kind of took me out of the movie a bit. Uh, looking back at, it, I think I enjoyed the movie more than I did in my, during my original sitting. I didn't really rewatch a whole lot of. It. I rewatched a couple scenes, but I think I enjoyed the movie more than I originally thought. However. I will say the, the the beginning is still rather meandering. It takes a little bit for it to finally get its pacing. Because uh, once w- like once you get to the middle of the film, like I think it it just keeps moving and it just there's zany characters. There's a lot going on. Uh, the art direction is fucking awesome. Uh, the couple songs they have were were kind of were kind of cute. Um, had a good message. Uh, but yes, yeah, it's, it's the beginning that kind of lost me. And I will say. Um, after much think, after much deliberation, I found the root of my biggest problem with this film. Ooh, um, the film lacks any sort of emotion. The story is there, but I didn't feel anything. I didn't care if Milo got to the castle in the air. I didn't <laughs> care if the princesses of rhyme and reason were freed. I love dogs, but I didn't care about if Tok did anything. It's like they. Chuck Jones didn't make me care about Milo the way that you care about Milo. I 
support your thesis. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I, I can totally see that being true. Uh, you know, uh, podcast over. Done. We solved. We solved film and we stories. Solved it. That's it. <laughs> Last time we recorded, I think your main sentiment was that it wasn't what you expected. Yes. And and so that was kind of your, uh, what what was tripping you up. Yes. And I'll th- I'll throw this at you just to kind of ruminate. Throw it. If you think about Milo's journey. The beginning has to be like dishwater dull, because his life was that dull. If you had all all that zaniness in the beginning, then what's he have to be bored with? You know, that's, so that's part of his journey. That's now, fair. It doesn't make for fifteen minutes of you know like jumping right in and getting excited about the film, but in terms of representing representing the mood of the protagonist, it's appropriate. I just, I love the way you said it though. <laughs> um, I, I'm trying to think of the, the exact way the, what, what amused me about it but like the movie's dull because his life is dull oh it's so like when I, when I sit down to watch a movie and I'm like I want to just be bored out of my mind for an hour and a half I pick up the Phantom Toll <laughs> good old Butch no that's Patrick. not true <laughs> good old Butch Patrick leading that movie um, and we, I mentioned last episode this is the second time that we've mentioned Butch Patrick on this show so this is just quickly becoming the butch patrick picture show podcast well that's even harder to say (laughs) i think like the butch patrick reference needs to be like the where's waldo of our show where you know you get a prize if you find where we snuck butch patrick into the into the conversation i'm gonna have to go out and buy his auto his autobiography butch on butch just so i can um (laughs) that's a made-up title i just thought i wanted to see if i can get a reaction out of you I wanted so bad for that to be true. <laughs> Butch on Butch. The Butch Patrick story. Um, I don't even know if he has an autobiography, but if he does, I should read it. You're you're about to find out. Yep. Um, but yeah, after thinking about this movie for a couple weeks, uh, I think that's my biggest problem is I didn't feel anything. Because like, even, even when Milo was in danger... It didn't really seem like like the Lethargians. It's like, oh, I'm going to get really tired. And I know they're going to eventually turn him into a Lethargian, but it didn't have this sense of danger. Like, yeah. say, like something like Alice in Wonderland, which I think is like a a, a movie in the same spirit of the Phantom Absolutely. Toll booth. Um, things in Alice in Wonderland seem legitimately dangerous. <laughs> uh, I, I guess maybe the next place to go from here since we've already established that it's one of my favorite movies and i just got done agreeing with you that it lacks something that (laughs) arguably every story needs to have um i should explain uh, (laughs) why i love the movie so much and why you Um, named your son after the lead character i did uh i named my son milo um i'm i'm really into literature uh kids books have a special place in my heart and i'm also a big fan of alice in wonderland which as you said is very similar journey about uh somebody who's out of place in the real world uh going through a change in you know uh, this kind of uh young child to either older child or adult this adolescence shift um and they need to escape to this world where everything's upside down in order to figure out their place in the real world. Uh, wow, you put that very w- nicely. Oh, thank you. In a way, it tests their boundaries. Like, you know, how crazy is too crazy in order to pull themselves back to say, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to necessarily put on a suit and tie and be a, an accountant, but I also don't necessarily, like, now I see the other side of crazy. To go among mad people. Oh, you can't help that. Everyone's mad here. <laughs> you may have noticed that I'm not all there myself. <laughs> and the morons are Goodness. If the people here are like that, I... I must try not to upset them. So, my history with this movie. Uh, I 
I was probably in middle school when I first saw it. And uh, my mom ran a daycare out of the house. So we had kids in the house every day that would come and jump in my bed at ungodly hours of the morning and wake me up. Bastards. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, and there was a pharmacy chain called Farmore, which was going out of business. Oh, I, I can't about imagine Farmore. why. <laughs> See, well, this this won't be just boring for us. We'll remember <laughs> all of the things that we talked about last time. Oh, I made a really dumb. I made a really bad joke about Farmore. Uh, oh, Farmore savings. I think that was my dumb yep. joke. It, I'm I'm almost positive that that was their, if not verbatim, then very close to it. Their catchphrase. Their if it wasn't, that's why they went out of business. Right, because because they're stupid and they miss obvious things. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we went to this going out of business sale. There, like things were dramatically slashed. Everything had to go, uh, like 80 off. And uh, my mom thought, oh, you know, this was back in the days when pharmacies and grocery stores had the little corner video rental place uh, because yes. that was a thing that used to happen. <laughs> um, I missed that. So she went and we got like Puff the Magic Dragon, which is another amazing animated film from that era. I, I've seen it, but it hasn't been since I was a child. And I just remember thinking, what the fuck did I watch? <laughs> it's very similar to how I felt about this one. Take care of him, Jackie. He's so much bigger than I am. Use your wits, Jackie. You can do it. Well, little boy, <laughs> what are your last words? Uh, well, very long, sir. Uh, can you bake a cherry pie very long, very long? Can you bake a cherry pie very long, John? I can bake a cherry pie quick as a cat can wink its eye. <laughs> Pumpkin peach and a half a dozen others. I don't believe you. So we picked up Puff the Magic Dragon, uh, uh, NES game that I absolutely love called Chrysalis. Chrysalis. And this, um, the Phantom Tollbooth. Brought it home, and like I ended up kind of like stealing it from the kids that my mom babysat, and it became mine. Um, I think, As you do. Yes, I, I like to steal from children. Push them over and take their candy. Uh, <laughs> I think I really related to Milo, both as a kid and even still looking back. It, this, I was bored in school, but I, I was because I was smart, not because I was lost. And and I'm trying. I don't want to sound braggadocious. I, I was. I'm you know not a genius by any means. You but, did just throw down braggadocious in a sentence very <laughs> fucking casually. <laughs> yeah, that's stupid English major. Uh, <laughs> But I, I, I got what the teacher was explaining the first time. So when she was explaining it the fifth and sixth time, I didn't care. So I would doodle yeah. in my notebook and ace the tests. And like my teacher in the parent-teacher conferences, they'd be like, well, I mean, he's always distracted and never pays attention, but apparently he's getting it. So I don't know what to do with him. <laughs> so I really related to Milo, um, as I did Alice. Um, and... And then the idea of going off into this magical world where not only do you get the zaniness and, as you mentioned, the beautiful art um, that builds as the movie goes on. Like, right off the bat, once he goes through that toll booth, um, and we should mention for those that haven't seen it, uh, the beginning and closing sequences are live action. So you actually get to see Butch Patrick. Yep. Which is um, amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually, I was kind of hoping those scenes were going to go on a little longer because one, <laughs> it, it felt like it was shot on all the same back lot. Well, it probably was shot on back lots, but it had this like, um, um, like the Batman 60s TV show vibe to it. <laughs> totally. uh, and also like the really clunky directing. Like, yeah. I loved it. Like, whenever Butch Patrick had to do something, he felt so stiff, probably because he wasn't given good direction. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I, I could just keep watching this for a while. I wasn't. And then, uh, the really great effect of them, like, showing him going half animation, half realist. I actually really loved that. I wish they would have yeah. played with that a little bit more. And the music is great. It's that, uh, uh, again, the, the classic. I, I, who, do you know offhand who does the composing for, for Chuck Jones? Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, um, this movie, 
Music was by Dean Elliott for this movie. But, Is that not uh, the Looney Tunes? Um, I'm looking it up because um, it says, granted, this is Wikipedia, so you know it's all 100% <laughs> truth. Right. It says music by Dean Elliott, and if I click on his name, uh, he says he was a film composer. Ooh, he did movies like Sex Kittens Go to College and the Las Vegas Hillbillies. <laughs> uh, oh, and a record called Zounds. What sounds? We just hit the <laughs> delicious, creamy nougat of the internet. <laughs> After oh, after this, Elliot went on to compose for a number of Dr. Seuss cartoons before joining Da Patie Frelang Enterprises in 1975 to commence work on their on their Return to the Planet of the Apes series, for which he provided incidental music. He also wrote all the music for the cult animated New Fantastic Four series uh, uh, before moving to Warner Brothers with Chuck Jones, where he provided all the music for Jones's uh, Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie okay. in 1979. Uh, but also, all the songs were by two different people. The, the songs were by the music and the songs were was by Lee Pockris, and the lyrics are by Norman Gimbel. Wait, Norman Gimbel? That name sounds familiar. Um, dead air, dead air, dead air. Phil, Phil. Uh, well, he is a very accomplished uh, songwriter. Uh, he's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame, and. Uh, he did songs for Dean fucking Martin. Not Dean Martin. Nice. Dean fucking Martin. It's his Dean punk rock alter ego. <laughs> anyway, uh, so we uh, a little bit Anyways. of a tangent. Music's great, but yeah, that that sequence where he's he actually enters the toll booth and becomes animated. And Milo realizes that he is animated and kind of drives back and forth and does kind of a uh, Lucille Ball bit, but with himself, where he's kind of, you know, waving his arm in both reality and cartoon land. I'm always amused by this. Like, uh, this and Pagemaster both use this this technique of going from live action to cartoon. Uh, Well, granted, Pagemaster came out, like, some 30 years later. Um (laughs) So I I can effectively say it did it a little better. Uh, Macaulay Culkin in that movie has this line, I'm a cartoon. <laughs> oh, no. uh, and then uh, they're like, you're an illustration. I'm a cartoon. You are an illustration. But I'm curious, like, how it looks to them. Like, is Milo seeing everything in 2D? Or, like, I don't know. Right. I, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact that he's aware that he's a cartoon. <laughs> or an illustration. I've lost so much weight. Um, but so so right off the bat, as soon as he goes through this toll booth, you get that great like you. It's immediately recognizable as the art, the same beauty of Looney Tunes. This yep. very simple, stark um, animation style. But as the film goes on, it gets more romantic. There's more interesting. Uh, almost lace-like overlays that drift down and turns it into a dream world. And um, the the storyline plays a lot with, uh, particularly when you go back to the source material and the the original book, um, color and sound and composition versus chaos and all of these artistic concepts that Milo kind of explores along the way. Uh, and I think that's reflected in as he gets deeper into this world, uh, the the visuals, visual representation of that world gets more dynamic. So that by the end, when he's actually in the castle in the air, which is this kind of crystalline, almost uh, ethereal look to it, and there's just like prism uh, lights and colors bouncing everywhere and uh it it's really stunning and and it's certainly something that imprinted on me at a young age then going back to what you said in the beginning you know yeah i i can totally see the perspective that while this is a really cool journey that you're observing you never really get inside milo's head in the sense of actually caring about you're you're an observer yeah. And, and I guess that could also be uh, what the source material is like. I've never read the book, so I don't know. Um, but looking back at it, there's a lot to love about this film. Like you said, the visuals are gorgeous, but that's to be expected coming from Chuck Jones, who has made one of my favorite cartoons of all time. Uh, what's up? Uh, is it Doc? What's opera? 
It's one of my favorite cartoons of all time. Um, and, um, you know, what's not to love about having Butch Patrick? And the voice acting is all superbly done. And one thing, like, I think is super cool about the movie is it's uh, it's a movie for nerds, like, word nerds like yourself. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all uh, because it explores the beauty of knowledge. And uh, that that was sounded like it should be on a billboard somewhere <laughs> probably um yeah it's you know the uh that was something that we talked a lot about last time we recorded and and haven't really hit on yet but um absolutely you know i'd love i love puns and uh, yeah you we, do we we came they're so punny uh, no <laughs> terrible um we came to the conclusion one. yeah we came to the conclusion last time that like it's it's a one long dad joke. Names. I must have your names before you can proceed. Well, uh, this is the humbug. Humbug. This is talk. Talk. And my name is Milo. Now can we go? Milo. Oh, I haven't had an M in ages. Now then, if you'll just tell me when you were born, where you were born, why you were born. How old you are, how old you were then, what grade you're in. Your shoe size, shirt size, collar size, hat size. And the names and bank references of six people who can verify this information. Then you can go. What do you need all this for? We're in a hurry. I'm the official census taker. I must have this information before I take your census. It's so great. There's there's this bit when uh, Milo gets to Dichinopolis, which is an entire kingdom uh, all about words. So to yep. get there, he has to go through the word market, which is like a farmer's market, but instead of selling peaches and asparagus, they're all selling words. And he goes up to one, and he's like, I'll take these, and it's upholstery, flabbergast, uh, some other crazy, wacky word. And ragamuffin. What are these, sir? And were you thinking of using all of them in the sign sentence? Why, yes, sir. Well, I'll tell you what, lad. Why don't you just take a bag full of appies and goods to start with? Very useful for happy birthday, happy new year, happy dies, and happy go lucky. Useful, too, for good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good riddance, and good boy. But then he, he's brought to the castle yeah. um, to meet King Azaz, uh, and and he says, you, my boy, as they all sit down around a feast, you, my boy, as our guest, may, may speak first. So he stands up and starts to give a speech, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I'd like to take this opportunity, and then the king cuts him off and says, all right, next. And everybody around the table, rather than giving a speech, gives um, their food order. And uh, so then then the, the servers come out and place it all around, and he opens his big metal lid, and under it is the words as, as a physical thing on the plate, your, your yeah. honor, ladies and gentlemen. And he's like, you know, there's this moment of, well, what the hell is this? And he's like, well, you know, of course you knew you'd have to eat your words. And, they're, they're, you know, th- this is five minutes all to build up. To, to just joke. this, I, this I just, you'd have to ex- eat your words. I was expecting to hear like a rim shot or something. Like, right. It's essentially like if like a comedian went up on stage and told a very elaborate knock knock joke. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like the like the the build up is not nearly as good as the punchline, but without it, the build up would be would be terrible. Wrecked him. Damn near killed him. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, Internet. <laughs> I don't know why that made me laugh like it did. <laughs> so, you know, one of my favorites is uh, Cacophonous A Discord. Oh, my who, God. That guy. <laughs> I, it's another, like, five, seven-minute bit of noise. He runs around breaking bottles and smashing things just to 
like he loves to explore terrible sounds. Yeah. I had a I had a roommate like that. He was actually a really great musician, but made his like he was the real life cacophonous a discord. But then he has this pet that he like releases out of a bottle called the awful din. What? You've never heard of an awful din before? And it's a personification of, like, bad noise. So he feeds the awful din these noises. That whole joke confused the shit out of me. Because, like, (laughs) then Butch Patrick was, like, he, like, tried to explain as if it's a phrase that people still use if they've ever (laughs) used. Totally antiquated. uh, uh, I'm amused, though, that the actress that played the awful din's name is Candy Candido. (laughs) What? Candy Candido. Here's to all my friends' names. Oh, my God, it's a guy. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would be surprised. The voice is so (laughs) rough. Well, I saw the name Candy, so I was like, oh, let's assume that's a a girl. It's clearly a stripper. Yeah, Candy Candido. Uh, he also played Maleficent's goon in Sleeping Beauty. Hmm. And uh, he was Shere Khan's roar in the Jungle Book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that amuses me so much. I like that they hired a voice actor for Shere Khan, but like, you know what? You're just not cutting it for the roar. Let's get Candy Candido in here. That guy can roar like a, okay, like uh, a boss. Tangent. I just need to tell this story. Has nothing to do with this movie, but it's amusing, and I'm gonna put the sound effects in for everyone who's listening so they can witness for themselves. One of my favorite stories from uh, The Lion King was that the sounds of the lions are are not actual lions roaring; they're tigers, because lions have a really pathetic sounding roar. (laughs) Like if you listen to a lion roar, it does not have any menace behind it all. It sounds really (laughs) pathetic. Uh, So they mixed in the sound of uh, of tigers. And Frank Welker uh, growling into a garbage can. <laughs> and there's a video of Frank Welker doing this. And when I read about this, I looked at a YouTube comment, and the guy's like, how pathetic is that, that some guy named Frank in a garbage can sounds more intimidating than a real lion? Out of the characters, though, I um, there there's uh, a couple of them were just uh, their names were amazing. Um, like I I still love the 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 weatherman and the faintly macabre uh, the or, oh. the witch essentially. Yeah, not uh, to be confused with a weatherman and a witch. Yeah, very different things. <laughs> which witch? <laughs> uh, but my, no, my favorite joke in the entire movie is uh, is talk who is a a watchdog literally cuz he's a watch he's got a With clock a dog wrapped around it yeah he is a watchdog cuz he's uh, a watch dog <laughs> and all throughout in. you know it's a single pun but they play off, they continue to play off of it the whole time so there's you know there's a whole song and dance number about wasting time and how wonderful you know there's it's bad enough uh, wasting time let alone killing it and then he's always concerned about his mainspring breaking because that's how a watchdog dies and at the end when they're fighting you know all of the uh these these terrible demons his mainspring does break and it's the closest thing to feeling anything that you get in the movie (laughs) it doesn't work nearly as well as say like uh, the horse, uh, was it the horse name Atreyu in Never Ended Story? Atreyu oh, dying? Uh, Artax is the horse. Oh, Atreyu was the Indian, was the Native American yeah. boy. Uh, doesn't have that kind of weight behind it, but you know, that's. Artax, uh, you're sinking! <laughs> oh, but you know, for, for 19, like, what is it, 1970? I think it was technically made in like 68 or something. Or Yeah. Oh, uh, wait, no, no, it came out. Um, uh, it came out a while, like it was released in 1970, but it didn't get a lot of attention. Regardless, uh, okay. you know, for the time and for being a uh, MGM's first animated film, 
like you know they did what they could and like there's so like i said there's while it's lacking in some of the things that like would have kept would have grabbed me like um there's so much to like about it that um my original assessment uh which i felt was i was a little harsh on um <laughs> it's improved it's yeah. gone up well, i like and, it better you know something else that i I've, I've been ruminating on this idea that you brought up in the beginning about not feeling anything but if you look at who is making this film you know chuck jones is you know think think about all of the buds bunny and daffy duck stuff that we grew up on did you ever feel empathy for any of those characters were you ever like you know when daffy duck gets shot in the face it's not like you're concerned about him yeah not never i never once so it's an hour and a half of that. No, I mean, with, that's, with, that's a good point. With much thicker concepts, which are, you know, thanks to Norton Juster's incredible source material. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure that Chuck Jones was thinking, uh, like, that That wasn't his process. I'd be interested on this point now to kind of go through his catalog and see if he ever reached a point where he was... Uh, infusing more of that yeah, I'd, be, word. I'd be curious about this too and then it's, that's kind of a great segue into um, you know talking about a little bit of Chuck Jones this movie and Norton Juster um, you know Chuck Jones is a master filmmaker to put like a master in animation he animated for the Warner Brothers during their peak like the 30s to the 50s and is responsible some for some of the most infamous uh, Bugs Bunny Daffy Duck Elmer Fudd cartoons of all fucking time, and best rabbit of my, season fire. <laughs> best of my knowledge, I think he also created uh, Tom and Jerry, which is a personal favorite okay. of mine. Yeah. Um, um, but unfortunately, uh, when the ten- Phantom Toll was, was released in 1970, MGM was kind of not in a good place, and uh, they were struggling to get decent bookings for movies. So the Phantom Toll booth only played like at afternoon children's matinees if at all um and it effectively killed chuck jones's career and it's a shame because like think about it in like a couple years like sesame street comes on and it's essentially the same shit like how awesome is education or like um, you got Schoolhouse Rock, which is also you know a very similar thing, and those are remembered heralded as classic. Hell, Sesame Street's still on, but no one. Rem- I've never even heard of the Phantom Tollbooth until you told me about it, and I and yeah. I tried to do research on it. And I'm uh, I guess I'd like to talk about whether or not you think uh, if you think Chuck Jones would have gotten more big high level projects because he was still animating up until he died. Um, if he would have gotten more thing more projects and um, how. Norton Juster felt about the film because uh, he said he never liked it. He didn't. He didn't think Chuck Jones did a good job, um, uh, and uh, the movie was well reviewed by critics, which also made him angry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> They're all wrong. And uh, granted, it's only eight critics, but the film's got one hundred percent Rotten Tomatoes, so that's kind of that's dope. Right. No, but there's not a lot of people watching the Phantom Tollbooth and being like, this is terrible. <laughs> um, what the hell? So I, I actually hadn't heard this was something that you brought up when we started discussing the film um, and doing it for the podcast. Um, I didn't realize that there was that animosity uh, as a result of the film and that Norton Jester didn't like it. Um, I love the book and I love the, the film. Um, and this is reminding me the last time we recorded this, we, we kind of started talking a lot about, um, just, um, reinterpretations of, of books specifically, but reinterpretations of anything in, in a film format, um, and how, you know, there's, there's the the classic trope of oh it's not as good as the book you know you, mm-hmm. you don't see a movie based on oh it wasn't as good as the book and i've never felt that way coming out of a movie that was based on a book because i accept that it has to be different because it's a different medium yeah you you have you have to recreate um the emotions or the vibes that uh, that you have to recreate 
like I said, the emotions of the book instead of like telling the story beat for beat exactly has how it happened. Yeah, it, if you did that, it <laughs> it would be very long, probably boring. It it's it's a different delivery system. You you cannot treat them the same way. To, so to to judge a film based on the story as you interpreted it when you read it just isn't fair and I've never been a person who put that expectation on an ad, on an adaptation. Um and it's also, you know, uh, um, some something else I should mention is there. There actually is a bit of a uh, a shameless check for me on this episode, um, and that's the documentary that I've had since it was released and hadn't yet had a chance to watch called Beyond Expectations. Um, that is, it's a like a about an hour long. And it's just like great interviews with Norton Juster and the illustrator whose name isn't clipping right now. Yeah, I can find that out for you. Let's see it, if it is Jules Pfeiffer. Yep, uh, who has an amazing illustration style. Um, it's actually you know, very it, reminiscent of Dr. Seuss. Yeah, um, and I also think that. It's kind of a cleaned up version of Ralph Steadman. I think Ralph Steadman fans would really appreciate his art style. Ha- having a Ralph Steadman uh, half sleeve, I can oh, totally agree with that. <laughs> and I have a Jules Pfeffer uh, tattoo myself. So Yeah, so what, that worked out. Wonder well. Twin Powers Activate. Form of bucket of water. <laughs> Amazing. If you don't love this podcast, you're wrong. <laughs> So I finally, you know, took the opportunity to watch this documentary. And what's interesting, based on the conversation we had had about this animosity, they do not bring up the movie once. Never talked about it. Now, it it could have just been that they wanted to focus on it. It was for the 50th anniversary of the release of the book. Um, But it would certainly lend credence to this idea that he was not that that he doesn't consider it part of the canon. I hope there's a deleted scene somewhere where like the interviewer is talking to um, uh, uh, Norton Juster and is like, "So can you tell us about Chuck Jones? <laughs> Chuck Jones? Fuck that guy! <laughs> Fuck Chuck Jones! He just looks right at the camera. Fuck Chuck Jones! <laughs> and the little rabbit he drew in on. That joke didn't work." <laughs> <laughs> I I took it for the spirit that it was intended for, and I thought it was hilarious. Okay, great. Um, uh, so you've read the book, correct? You, I yes. Mean, you, you said it, that it's um, been a while, but I I own two copies of it and uh, have read it several times. Okay, well then I have some questions about that. If you don't okay. mind, um, I'm curious um, if the book had uh, had more depth to it. And I only ask because, like, knowing, like, kind of what the book is like, and um, I imagine, and, like, what the, how the movie turned out, I imagine there's things that they couldn't necessarily translate well into a visual medium. Uh, and then I'm also wondering if there's a difference in the ending. Because one reviewer said that the film's ending came too easily and said those who read the book will remember how Milo had to solve the problem because he said his problem was rhyme and reason. He didn't have to convince them of anything. He was, They just fucking did it, did what they had to do to fix the kingdom. So I'm curious, is there a different ending or is this reviewer talking out of his ass? Um, it, I'm, I'm not recalling the ending well enough. I mean, the, the film is something that I watch at least once a year. Again, just you know, it's it's an I I love it, and it's easy to watch with my kids. And even before I had kids, it was something that I went out of my way to watch on a regular basis. Uh, the books I the last time I read the book was probably ten, twelve years ago. So it's been a while. Um, I, I I can certainly you know the the counter I would say to the that reviewer's statement is that you know the rhyme and reason from the film perspective didn't really seem all that trapped 
And I don't think that was the point. I think they were they were saving Milo. You know, they okay. they didn't need rescuing. Milo needed rescuing, and they oh, sent for him just to get him on the right track. So once he got there, it's like, all right, you know, your princess is in this castle, and and there you go. Um, Milo achieved his goal. Okay, uh, that's an, that's actually an interesting uh, way of putting it. What is that? Uh, Milo needed rescuing. Yeah, and and the princesses do say, um, you know, that that's why we sent for you. That so the princesses are the ones that sent the toll booth, and that's the only line that establishes that. Um, I'm gonna call so, shena- I'm gonna call shenanigans on that one, simply because. Why'd they send it to Ralph? <laughs> Why'd they send the toll booth to Ralph? Why'd I have a bull, Bart? Why'd I have the bull? <laughs> Ralph, are you crazy, Ralph? <laughs> Milo, you wouldn't believe what just showed up in in my bedroom. Oh boy, <laughs> he doesn't know what he's getting himself into. In classic quantum leap form. <laughs> um. So, uh, but in terms of more depth, absolutely. Uh, but and and this is where I'll, I'll certainly forgive Chuck Jones because you know they had to structure it in more of uh, a traditional film, you know, rising action, falling action format. Where uh, much again, like Alice in Wonderland, Phantom Tollbooth is more of this like episodic. Okay, and then he experiences this crazy character with this circumstance, and then and just ping pongs around uh, a lot which allows them to explore much more um of these elements it, it the film really focuses on Dichinopolis and digitopolis and this feud that these brothers have between words and numbers and they kind of put all of the weight of the problems of this world on that feud where uh in the book it's much more broad you have um uh, it it explores sound much more than the movie does, and it explores color a lot more than the film does. Um, it doesn't just put it on that divisiveness between the words and numbers. Okay. No, that's interesting. Because, um, like, I, I was thinking about it, you know, not having read the book, but um, I, I'm fascinated. I don't know if it's an official subgenre of film or not, but I, I'm fascinated <laughs> by the unadaptable um books that people have said oh there's no way you can make that into a movie oh okay and then you've got you know of course american psycho a movie that said no one could make into a movie uh you've got fight club another one people said you can never make this to a movie thank you for smoking another movie you could never make oh, into a movie so good it's thank you for it's, smoking. it's so good. an amazing movie the <laughs> all phantom, three of those were yeah great. phantom toll booth i feel like would my not having read it but i feel like had you not seen a move, seen the movie, there's probably a chance that you could say, "There's no way they could do this." Right. So, I'm going to change things up a little bit. We don't. We've never Ooh. done this topic before. Oh. Um, not even last time we recorded no, this episode. No, never. Uh, <laughs> Going off big, the rails. Say I'm a big time Hollywood producer. I come in. I just barge into your house right now for some fucking reason. <laughs> Nick Richards, what are yes. you doing in my house? <laughs> Here's $30 million and the rights to the Phantom Tollbooth. I want oh. you to make a big motion picture. A talkie? A talkie. <laughs> we got a poster and a release date, kid. Get on it. <laughs> Thank you for putting my your trust in me, sir. And then he busts through another wall and leaves. <laughs> you, you, hear, no. you hear your son, Santa. Go back to sleep, little boy. <laughs> um so and scene you you uh you you're you're given 30 million dollars by uh big rich guy tex mcrichardson uh reoccurring character from now on um my third cousin incidentally yeah how would you do it like would it would it still be part animation part live action would you animate the whole thing would you make a live action like what do you see and you're not remaking the phantom toe booth chuck jones you are right. readapting uh juster's novel what it's would you do charlie in the chocolate factory instead of willy wonka in the chocolate exactly factory. how yeah. how would you see this oh i'm so close to both of them i'm 
not I don't think I'll have the right answer. Um, the first thing that came to mind, and it has less to do with the material and much more to do with what I want to check off my filmmaker bucket list, is God, I would love to do that as a stop motion animation. Ooh, would it start live action and then become stop motion? I I would have a lot of sleepless nights deciding that because my first instinct is yes, but am I doing it because it's a good idea for my film or am I doing it because that's what I saw and loved growing up? Because like in my mind, I and like I I I was. I found like passages from the book online. So I was perusing through it. And like I said, I think we talked about last episode, how it had like this Alice in Wonderland style, um, verbiage to it. And just the way that it tells the story, which I think is kind of cool. And in my mind, the only way to like faithfully adapt that novel is to make like a hard, not hardcore, but make like a, uh, an art film. It wouldn't be a kid's film anymore. It would right. be like, like a Stanley Kubrick or a Hodorowsky art film about knowledge yeah well like, it, yeah it's interesting that you say that because uh in in this documentary um juster talked a lot about the pushback that he got writing this it's it's a kid's book it's a very thick kid's book with a lot of heavy concepts in it yeah you know, yes it's it's about the love of education but most of these puns are going to be over some kids heads uh, many kids' heads. It was over um, my head. Some of them were over my head. Right. And I'm an adult. So, so he had a very hard time, uh, according to him, finding a publisher. Um, and this was in the era when when Dr. Seuss was, you know, hot shit. And it was... And, and Dr. Dr. Seuss was so loved in this time period and, and so prolific because it fit... Uh, america's concept of a it, it's cold war you know we we need to be better than the russians of course and so our children have to be as smart as we our kids cannot fall behind um and the way that we're going to do that is by focusing on a very set vocabulary and and that's what dr seuss did like these 50 words i'm gonna tell every story possible with these 50 words you know and and the Phantom Tollbooth is the antithesis of that. Another okay. big word. Antithesis. <laughs> and, and he happened to find a publisher that believed in it and got it out there and it found it a dedicated um, audience, though small. Um, but it, it reminded me of that when you were talking about how I wouldn't make a kid's movie. I would make this cerebral, you know, but, I mean, that's what he did. He made this very cerebral thing. And said it's a kid's book. Yeah, like if I if I had to like list down a uh, the first director that comes to mind, that if I had to like pick someone like out of a hat, what I actually wouldn't be out of the hat if it's from my mind. <laughs> Whatever. Unless you're wearing a hat on your mind. Whoop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the one uh, the one name that comes to mind that I feel like this this cat could a- adapt this movie to something really interesting uh, would be Christopher Nolan. Oh yeah, well, that man has has a golden touch. <laughs> yeah, like, like I, like, I'd pretty much like okay, Christopher Nolan, make the Phantom Toll Booth into the Interstellar with words. <laughs> I got you, fam. Yeah, with his adorable British accent. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and it has to have Tom Hardy in it, <laughs> playing Milo, because everything <laughs> Tom Hardy as Milo. <laughs> Oh my god, I just I want to recut the Mad Max trailer. You already know my name. <laughs> oh my god, Mad Max is the Phantom Toll Booth. That's the new direction this book needs. Yep. Everyone talks in like iambic pentameter and you know crazy puns and <laughs> but they're saying it so aggressively. <laughs> and it and it's you know, yeah, the the land beyond is a desolate wasteland. And instead of like pull like pulling on the the, the lever to give everyone water, words come down. <laughs> and Morton Joe is really a ki- uh, a King a- Azaz. <laughs> the war between words and numbers has left the land beyond in desolate wastes. Only one man, played by Tom Hardy, can save them all. 
We'll just change it from the Phantom Toll Booth into Milo. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, subtitle, and the Phantom Toll Booth. <laughs> just, just, just so you can get the fans of Norton Juster. <laughs> Norton Juster's dystopic novel, The Phantom Toll Booth. <laughs> He's sitting somewhere like, what was it dystopic? <laughs> <laughs> the producer that came crashing through my wall and gave me a billion dollars said it was okay. I love this picture. <laughs> so we've gotten a little off topic. Oh, a little bit. That's how we're filling the time. Hopefully it was an enjoyable tangent. I do have to I say, like, I, I had a lot of fun on, the, on this re-recording of this episode. We should re- record every episode twice. <laughs> It's just uh, from now on, I'm just gonna tell you I'm recording, and I'm not really gonna be. <laughs> Oopsie. Um, uh, but I guess before we 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 end it, is there anything else that you want to talk about the fan toll booth or things that we might have talked about last time that we didn't bring up that uh, you feel are relevant? Um, a lot of what I remembered from last time were triggered by us beginning to talk about them this time. So I'm, I don't think we've missed anything, even though I'm sure we have. No, like I feel like we, you know, we touched on everything. We, we added some, we added some skits into yep. this episode. We created some characters. <laughs> Learned um, some things. Had some we're laughs. Better, smarter. A <laughs> little it's, wiser. It's been, it's been a wild ride. <laughs> Um, I guess that's it. Um, so every 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 time we record an episode, we talk about what's going to happen next, and something <laughs> and always it's happens. Never that. It's never that. Or uh, it's like, oh, this is what we're going to record. This is what we're going. Our next episode is going to be about, and like we'll release them in a weird order or something. <laughs> but this time, goddamn it, we're finally going to do Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Compare and contrast episode between the, the but movie wait, and the But wait, that's pilot. not all. Yep. <laughs> sorry, sorry, tremendous game show, or no, <laughs> uh, infomercial bit. Um, yeah, so this one is on my shame list. Um, I have not seen the film. I've seen bits and pieces from the show, but not enough to really construct anything valuable. So we're going to watch the pilot of the TV show and the film and uh, kind of see what they have to offer and i will say i'm excited um because joss whedon is um you know hot shit i love him and, and i think i mentioned this last time that i'm also excited to have to us uh, watch the movie first that that's the order i recommend i i'd say movie first then the pilot okay um because joss whedon will go says how much he hates the movie and he wants nothing to do with it and the tv show is supposed to be just characters and name only it's nothing to do with the movie but then they reference things that happened in the movie in the pilot episode so you're full of shit joss whedon pretty much uh and i i i would probably get stoned by a lot of uh, joss whedon fans but i prefer the movie um one our uh one listener that we have named emlyn she uh She's listened to every episode Ooh. somehow. Well, thank you. Um, Hi, uh, Emma. And has a lot of nice things to say. She's written uh, she's written essays about Buffy the Vampire Slayer and loves the TV show. She tells me it gets really good uh, around season two or three. We'll have to take her word on that because <laughs> I'm not getting that far. But I'm going to uh, read some of her essays and bring her points in about what makes, in her mind, the TV show better than the movie. Awesome. Uh, so some we're gonna we're gonna get some literary action up in this bitch, and uh, we as of our next episode we'll have a thirty three point three three percent vampire saturation. Yeah, it's not bad. Re- <laughs> um, no, I think that's a pretty damn good average. Uh, before we go, do you want to mention our little side uh, experiment with this show? Yes. Or should we keep that under wraps? No, I, I'm excited about it, and I do want to talk about it. Um, so I don't think we've mentioned it yet. Um, so my, if we did, it's been deleted. <laughs> right. My day job is um, I am the station manager of a public access television station here in Maryland. Um, it's a lot of fun. I love my job, and it affords me a lot of creative opportunities sitting in a meeting with my bosses the other day and we're talking about getting content for the station and uh my boss who i had no idea was even aware that i did a podcast uh says you know i don't 
understand why you haven't turned your podcast into a TV show. Sure, yeah, I can do that. So we are going to turn the uh, Shameless Picture Show podcast into uh, the podcast will remain as is. That's something that will still go out the same way. But we will film ourselves. Um, I'll start recording from the TV studio. Uh, I'm working out the technical side now, and that's really the only thing that we're waiting on. Um, we will also be on, uh, if you happen to be in Talbot County, Maryland, you can catch us on uh, the, the public access, but we'll also put it up on YouTube so you can see our gorgeous faces while you listen to our gorgeous voices. And uh, you'll also, like, we're, we're, we're going to try to add some different things to the television version because, like, the cool thing about the podcast is me and Nick edit the show. We cut out all the ums and dead <laughs> space. And anytime we have a technical difficulty, because uh, those who didn't listen to the first episode, Nick lives in Maryland. I live in Wisconsin. We Skype this and record our own audio separately. So Skype's acting weird, like it did three times during this episode. <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of emptiness. Uh, so we cut all that shit out. We make it sound good. Uh, I I cut out all the ums or add more ums depending on the mood. <laughs> Uh, I also add, you know, the music and the trailers, and I'll add sound clips from other movies, and try to make it fun. The people on tel- the also watching on television, I don't know how much of that they're going to get. We're still figuring out the editing process for that, so we're going to try to add some cool, like, little things. Maybe uh, I'm going to try to come up with some games or little segments that nice. we can play. And you'll get a, a little bit more behind-the-scenes take on it. You'll hear us kind of warming up for the podcast show. We'll do, you know, our normal bullshitting. Um, that you'll get to be a part of as we ramp up into the podcast side. Yeah, we also might have to start watching our language. It's going to be in public <laughs> access, but uh, it's or, or we'll just add blood bleeps in because that's fun. It'll just air late at night. <laughs> but uh, no, that, that's that's kind of the plan. We want to go from being podcast stars to also television stars, specifically um, public access stars, Wayne's World style. Yep. Pretty much, and uh, I don't think that's all I got. Cool. So party on, Nick. Par- uh, party on, Michael. <laughs> I we uh, have to end it there. Yeah. Cut. 